Folks, let's have that passage open before us. Um, Luke chapter 5, on page 1032. Have that open before you, just as we uh, spend a few moments uh, dwelling on it together, just now. Let me pray. Lord, we're reading a passage here about how you met with a particular man and how it had a profound impact and changing in his life. Lord, we're, we're open to that too. We pray that you would come and reach us, uh, speak to us in the ways that you need to speak to us, encourage us and challenge us by your word today. Amen. In the passage that we looked at at the end of chapter 4 of Luke's gospel, we have Jesus saying to the people of Capernaum that he can't stay with them, but that he's got to keep on the move because he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that's why I was sent. And then in these verses, in our passage this morning, that's exactly what he's doing. Jesus is preaching the good news on the shores of Lake Galilee. People are crowding all around him, and they're just dying to hear what he has to say. It's, it's almost hard to imagine in our times uh, somebody preaching in public and, and a huge crowd gathering, but that's, that's clearly what's happening here. One thing to, to notice in this passage, um, Jesus loved to be with people on their front lines. Uh, we've heard about Roy. He has a, well, it's an unusual front line by my standards, but I suppose my front line is quite unusual too. Each one of us spends our lives doing particular things in particular places that a lot of the rest of us don't really understand and can hardly imagine. But in this particular story, Jesus is with a bunch of fishermen. Now, he, he's, he spends his time in the synagogue. We've already seen that. So we've read about him being in the synagogue in Nazareth, being in the synagogue in Capernaum. But... Uh, last time we looked at the passages at the end of chapter 4, we saw him in Simon's home, and today we find him in Simon's workplace. He goes to visit Simon at work, right here in the middle of this smelly, noisy, busy fishing harbor. Think of Port of Ogie or Kilkeel or Killybegs. I don't know if you've been at any of those places recently. They're, they're lively and smelly and active kinds of places. Well, Jesus enters into just that kind of world, and it's lovely that he goes there rather than always expecting people to come somehow into his place or his world. Jesus preaching, I'm surmising that it's going pretty well, uh, that there are people all around him, that they're crowding in on him and that actually it's, it's getting hard to, to reach the crowd, to project to them all. And that's maybe the reason why he's asked for this boat. He sees this couple of boats moored. He sees their, their owners sitting there uh, mending their nets. And he approaches Simon and asks him to push his boat out a little bit from the shore. He sits down because that's what the teacher always does in that culture. And then he begins to preach. 
Another lovely wee thing here. Jesus Christ can do anything. Anything he wants. He can just make it happen. But yet he asks this fisherman for his help. He says, Simon, I need your help. Will you help me? Jesus, who comes into Simon's world, the place where Simon's the boss, where Simon's the expert, where Simon knows how it all works, and he asks for his boat and for his rowing skills. Hadn't ever really thought about this until I was preparing for this today. I think Simon has to row the whole time Jesus is preaching. Have you ever sat in a rowing boat on a halfway decent sized lake? It doesn't sit still. There'd be some sort of a current on the lake or there'd be some sort of wind moving across the water. So Simon's sitting there with the oars over the edge and every moment or two he's having to do a wee bit of paddling or turning. And So Simon has been given quite a job. Jesus has invited Simon into his team, allowed him to help in his ministry. It's a quirky wee story so far, but I, I think it, it gets quirkier the further we go. Jesus has finished his preaching, and you'd expect him to say, Simon, thanks for that. Uh, row up on the shore, let me out, and I'll go about my business, and you'll go about yours. But that's not what he says. Jesus says, um, let's go fishing. Put your boat out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Okay, we're, we're rubbish at this. Guys like me and possibly people like you actually trying to imagine our way into these stories. And if we don't do it, they become really bland and boring. They're not bland and boring. Imagine what's happening here. Put yourself in Simon's shoes. We don't know what he's thinking, but let's, let's have a go. I think he's thinking something like this. Listen, teacher, rabbi, you might want to think before you tell me how to go fishing. You're a religious teacher who hangs around in synagogues and talks to people about God and God's law. You're up from the highlands in Nazareth. You wouldn't know how to catch a cold. You're not catching any fish here today, and it's unlikely you'll have anything to teach me. The boys and I, we're professionals. This is what we do. And we know that your idea is rubbish, by the way. We know where the fish are. The fish hang around in the shallows around the edge of the lake where the rivers flow in and where they put extra oxygen into the water and they make nice, healthy water. That's where the fish like to be. And we know that you never fish at, in the daytime. That's why we've been out all night, because we're professionals, and we know what we're doing, and we know how you catch fish. We're not stupid. So we have done all that. We have worked all night in the well-known areas where you catch fish, and we have caught nothing, and we're bushed. And I've spent the last couple of hours paddling this boat around so that you can do your preaching. But since you say so, I'll have a go. But I'm not expecting any success. 
And I'm expecting, in fact, to show you very soon who knows more about fishing. Folks, it's easy to underestimate Jesus. I think Simon Peter probably does at this point. He underestimates how much Jesus would possibly know about his real world, his sphere of activity, this fishing that's his profession. And I suspect we're, we're still like that. Even those of us who claim to be Christians, who claim the lordship of Jesus in our lives, I think what we tend to do is we give Jesus his due in certain spheres. So we say something to ourselves like, uh, Jesus is good at things like church. And, and he's good on a Sunday. That's his big day. He's, Jesus knows his Sunday stuff. He's good at the really, really big things like salvation and eternal life. But he doesn't know much about spreadsheets and everyday life. Doesn't know much about the law that I practice or the medicine that I'm being trained in or what it's like to work on my factory floor or he's never picked a GCSE in his life or done an AAS level. Jesus is fine in his own field, but he's not much good in, in mine. Doesn't understand the demands of paying a mortgage, the pressures of looking after aged parents, the, the challenges of parenting teenagers in a world of social media. I think we tend to underestimate what Jesus has to say and what he has to offer. And when we do that, we slide into a form of what I'm going to call practical atheism. What I mean by that is, we could be the kind of people who are entirely dogmatic about the existence of God, who will say that I have committed myself to following his son Jesus, but I might just end up living my life, my everyday life, as if God didn't exist. That the way I live, the choices I make, are exactly the same as my neighbor next door who doesn't believe in God or hasn't committed themselves to Jesus Christ. Being a disciple of Jesus ends up making little or no difference to how I actually live. So Simon underestimates Jesus, a bit like we might be prone to, and he takes Jesus into his workplace to show Jesus who's boss. And he gets the shock of his life. He ends up having to see that even in his field of expertise, Jesus is boss. In the deep water, in the broad daylight, in all the ways that weren't going to work, it works. And it works like it's never worked before. He catches more fish than he's ever caught, more fish than his nets and his boat and his partner's boats could even handle. It's a laugh, isn't it? I can't help but think that this passage is gently putting two alternative ways of life before us. The first is the normal, self, self-centered, self-planned, self-something way of life. I'm the boss, 
in life, I get exactly what my normal capacities can deliver for me. I get no more and I get no less. I get what I'm able for. And the second way of life is is a way of life where Jesus is boss. And we give him his place. We ask for his guidance. We follow his lead. And we get the joy of receiving whatever he chooses to bring us. Oftentimes, like, like in this story, we find that he wants to give us way more than we could ever ask or imagine. Without Jesus, Simon catches nothing that day. With Jesus, more fish than he ever dreamed of. Folks, if you keep that uh, passage open before you, it's, it's weird in a way, I think, what happens next in this story. Simon spent this day with Jesus. He's heard this superlative teaching. He's had this uh, huge windfall uh, of a fishing trip. Everything's gone swimmingly. And you'd think, well, that's got to be the start of a beautiful relationship. Jesus and Simon. Um, these two have got on well. It's all good. But look at, look at Simon. He's chasing Jesus away. Verse 8. Go away from me, Lord. He says, I'm a sinful man. To get a handle on this story, I think we need to think about that sentence for a moment. I, I want to think about it in a couple of, uh, maybe put a couple of Uh, ideas there to to help us approach this. Let me suggest that Simon's got some of this right and that he's got some of this wrong. What's Simon got right? Well, he's recognized that he's a sinful man. I've already been suggesting one uh, sinfulness of Simon's that that might be evident in this story. He's underestimated Jesus. He's imagined that he's nothing to learn from Jesus about how to live his everyday life. We might say that he was was a wee bit arrogant in his relationship to Jesus. But there's another sin that we can detect in, in this story if we look closely. Simon is, I think, preoccupied with wealth and material things. He's prioritized prioritized them over the life that, that Jesus Christ offers. How do we know that? Well, it's his reaction when the nets start to bulge. Have a look there. Notice what happens. He realizes he's on to something. And rather than calling to James and John, his partners on the shore, he signals to them to come and help. You see, he knows what every fisherman knows, that his voice will carry seven times as far over water as it does over land. He knows that if he shouts out, fellas, caught the fish here. We have enough here to make us the John West of our lifetimes. What happens? Every fishing boat on Lake Galilee in 10 minutes is there pulling out the fish that Jesus has helped them to locate. 
he still wants to keep it all to himself. Wants to make sure that any blessing stays his, keep the windfall for themselves. Simon's keeping company with Jesus, but he's still got other priorities. So let's say he's arrogant. Let's say he's preoccupied with material stuff. Let's say he has other sins that we don't know anything about because the story doesn't uh, suggest them to us. Simon thinks that Jesus won't be interested in him. And some of us here today feel the same. We say to ourselves, if only, if only you knew, Christoph, what I've been up to this week, you wouldn't be in a hurry to point me to Jesus. If you've heard some of the things I'd said, if you'd seen some of what I'd done, if, you, if you'd been able to read my mind, if you've seen what I'd looked at this week on the internet, you wouldn't be talking to me about God's grace and his forgiveness and his love. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. So Simon, I'm going to say, gets this bit right. He is a sinful man. And so am I. But there's stuff here that Simon gets wrong, badly wrong. He thinks that once Jesus sees his arrogance, his selfishness, whatever other sins became evident to Jesus that day, he thinks to himself, this Jesus, he's so clearly a man of God. His, his teaching, it, it's so true, and his actions are so good and so pure I can't be around him. If I'm around him, I'll, I'll contaminate him. He, he, he's so good and I'm so, I'm so not good. And so he says, just, just go. Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Simon hasn't begun to understand Jesus yet. You see, Jesus Christ is the only person who ever lived who isn't contaminated by sinful people. In fact, it's the other way around. When sinful people kept company with Jesus Christ, loads of them were contaminated by him. They were infected by his beauty, his love, and, and his purity. Instead of them pulling Jesus down, he raised them up. So Simon in this passage, he's the first individual person in Luke's gospel who's referred to as a sinner. He refers to himself in that way. And he thinks that that disqualifies him from keeping company with Jesus Christ, when in fact, it's, you know, to say I'm a sinner is the ultimate backstage pass to keeping company with Jesus. This is the way to be with Jesus. Admit 
that I'm a sinner? Remember, Jesus Christ, he's the the savior of the world. He's the one who came to save us from our sins. Do you remember that memory verse? I hope you do, because I clearly didn't. Do you remember the one I tried to teach you a couple of weeks ago? Let's flick it up on the, the screen again. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So that's Jesus telling us about his side of that bargain. He says, I'm the doctor and I'm coming to make you well. Here's the problem. I don't like going to the doctor. And I, I resist going to the doctor. Had a good think about this week. Why would I resist going to the doctor? I came up with, I think for me, it may be different for you. For me, it's a mixture of two things. It's a funny concoction of pride and embarrassment. Pride. I'm I'm not really sick. I'm all right. I'll get better myself. Just wait and see. Whatever's wrong with me will sort itself out. I, I don't need anybody's help. Or, or maybe it's embarrassment. I don't like the idea that I'm sick. I don't like that I'm not okay. I don't like that I'm not as well or as healthy as other people around me are. And maybe the thing, the particular thing that I'm sick with is a particular thing that I'm embarrassed about. By the way, I know that both of those things are stupid. Being proud and being embarrassed about going to the doctor, I know they're both stupid. I'm just telling you, that's what I'm like. Many of us are like this with Jesus Christ. We avoid coming to him. Even though we're sick, in their sin. We know, we've heard that he can make us well. Sometimes it's our pride. Sometimes we'll say to ourselves, well, well, I don't need to come to Jesus because I'm not that bad. There are a whole lot of worse people around me. And, and our culture does this to us. I hope you know that. Our culture does this thing where it holds up the worst of people and the, the, the point is it's supposed to make the rest of us feel okay. So as long as I'm not a pedophile I'm okay because there are worse people than me. That's not probably a healthy way to think about our own state. We can be be proud. I'll just make my own way, thank you. And sometimes we're embarrassed. I'm just not good enough to to live life with Jesus. Again, if if you'd seen what I've been up to this week or this month, I'd, I'd be embarrassed if anybody knew You wouldn't be offering preaching or healing to the likes of me. Folks, I don't know in your case whether it's pride or embarrassment or something else that's keeping you from Jesus Christ, but know this. Proud and embarrassed and conflicted and confused as you are, he came to make you well. There's no sickness of the heart that he can't cure. So I say come to him today.
We've thought for a moment about what Simon has said to Jesus for a couple more minutes to close. What did Jesus say to Simon that day? Verse 10. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. Don't be afraid. Now, where have we heard that before? I don't know if you remember. We gave a whole address, our first uh, address at our communion at the start of January, to noticing how in the, the birth narratives of Jesus, four times God sent an angel to different people to tell them not to be afraid. An angel spoke to Zechariah, to Mary, to Joseph, and to the shepherds. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's as though God was saying, yes, when I come to you, I know you'll be terrified because of who I am and because of who you are, but, but don't be afraid. It's okay. I'm coming to bless you and to do you good. Don't worry, don't be afraid. And now we have this conversation Jesus, in this conversation with Simon, the first sinner identified in Luke's gospel, and he says, don't worry, son. It's all right. It's okay. My holiness and your sin, don't put us on a collision course. I'm here to bless you and to do you good. Don't worry and don't be afraid. I, I, I think it's just, it's just amazing what Jesus says to Simon here. But, but that's only the start. It gets better. Have another look. Verse, verse 11. From now on, you're going to catch men. It's the same promise that Jesus makes in, in both Matthew and Mark's gospel to all the fishermen. Any fisherman who got into his gang seemed to get this invitation. From now on, you're going to catch men. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Simon, we have both been fishing here today. With, with my help, you caught a whole load of fish to kill them. With your help, I've been fishing for men and for women to bring them to life. Today I'm inviting you to join my team and to start doing that same fishing that I'm doing. Inviting men and women and boys and girls and young people to find life. It's amazing. Jesus' invitation to Simon Peter. It's so wonderful. It's amazing, I think, that Jesus can come to sinful people and say, it's all right. Don't worry. But, but I, I wouldn't stop at that. For me, it's that full sentence. Because Jesus doesn't just say to us, he doesn't just come to us and say, it's all right, I'll take you as you are. We think that's amazing. We think that's the greatest grace a person could give us to accept us as we are. No, it's not. He gives us more. He says, I'll take you as I are, but I won't leave you as you are. I'll turn you into something entirely different. I'll let you start to live out your God calling, make you into the person God made you to be. Simon, his partners, James and John, they all heard Jesus' promise that day. What do they do? Verse 11. 
pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Of course they did. Of course they did. Somebody comes to you and they says, I, I know all that's wrong with you. And I love you anyway. I accept you. I want to be with you. It's like a Valentine's card, isn't it? They drop everything and follow him. And just in case you're wondering, did, did, did Jesus promise to Simon come true this thing about him becoming a, a fisher of men? If you look carefully, verse 8, I glossed over it and haven't made a deal of it. Simon's referred to here by his other name. I've let it slip once or twice as I've been speaking. This rough diamond of a fisherman, Simon, is the same Peter who fished for men the rest of his life. He became a brilliant preacher. Billy Graham, the first Billy Graham, he preached on the day of Pentecost to a crowd in Jerusalem and we hear that 3,000 people chose to follow Jesus that day because of Peter's preaching. And his sermon, his sermon that day shows that he understood everything that happened in that lakeside in Galilee. He's understood now that sinful people needn't run from God. Sinful people shouldn't run from God. They should stay close to him and allow him to heal them. What did he say that day in Pentecost, years later? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Peter, Simon, he got it. He repented and he found new life in Jesus. What about us? Have we got it? Let me pray. Father God, there's so much at stake for any one of us when we come to encounter your Son, Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He's the doctor who can make us well. Lord, we we recognize that impulse in Simon Peter to say, no, I can't, I don't want to. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you'll show us just how deep your grace is, that it really does reach to the depths of our despair. And Lord, show us how high your purposes for us are, that you have wonderful plans for us to use us for your glory. And Lord, help us. Help some of us today for the first time to step, to take that step and to say, yes. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to hand the rest of my life over to him. Lord, we pray this longing that you'd bring more glory to yourself. Amen.
over here and they'll do us proud, I'm sure. By way of a benediction, this is what the fisherman Simon Peter wrote to some of his friends.